Hey, I know you're here for the podcast, but give me 30 seconds to talk about a new service we just released for anyone working in a CPG brand. Finding the perfect co-packer or supplier can be a real pain. You spend hours Googling options, texting your colleagues, asking around different Slack groups, and still you get nothing. That's why we created Fiddle Connect Consulting, a done-for-you service that does all of the hard work of finding your dream co-packer or supplier. Best of all, it's 100% guaranteed and you get three free months of Fiddle Inventory Operations software included. Interested? Just go to lp.fiddle.io forward slash FCC. That's lp.fiddle.io forward slash FCC. Now, on with the episode. Welcome to the Physical Product Movement, a podcast by Fiddle. We share stories of the world's most ambitious and exciting physical product brands to help you capitalize on the monumental change in how, why, and where consumers buy. I'm your host, Ken Ojuka. In this episode, I speak with Jeff Vierling, founder and CEO of Tailwind Nutrition, a nutrition company focused on fueling endurance athletes. As an endurance biker competing in races all over the country, Jeff was intimately familiar with the challenges of keeping his body fueled while competing. When he couldn't find any good products already on the market, he decided to create one. Jeff tells the story of how he then scaled his business by effectively marketing using events and competitions digital marketing, and strategically going after targeted wholesale accounts worldwide. Jeff talks about why they chose to manufacture in-house and why they continue to do so, and how he keeps his production operationally simple. This was a fun interview with a lot of great lessons for entrepreneurs. I think you'll like it. Yeah, hey, Jeff. uh, Welcome to the podcast. Uh, Thanks for jumping on. Hey, Ken. How are you today? Hey, doing good. Doing good. Um, You are calling us from uh, Colorado. Is that right? Yep. Uh, Durango, Colorado. We always wake up and say it's another beautiful day in Durango. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. I, I've been on your website and I've just seen some of the, the pictures are just absolutely breathtaking. Um, it's a pretty special place. Uh, we kind of have access to the mountains and the desert and, and all the recreational opportunities that that offers. And uh, we've got a river running through town. It's a, it's a really nice place. Nice, nice. Well, we like to, to kick off these, uh, these interviews with uh, a quote or, or something that, uh, that's impactful to you. Do you have one in mind that you could share with us? Sure. Uh, this is um, by uh, Rosalia de Castro, who was a, a Galician poet in the 1800s. And she wrote, I see my path, but I don't know where it leads. Not knowing where I'm going is what inspires me to travel it. Yeah, yeah, that's beautiful. So, so I guess, what does that mean to you? So, I, I think it means a couple of things. You know, just on the surface level, a lot of our customers and 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 the and our whole company, all the people that kind of um, work on Tailwind, really love being in the outdoors and and we're inspired by that. It's where our best ideas come from. So, it kind of has that literal literal meaning of, that I think we can all relate to of just those those really great days when you're outdoors and you're and you're just wondering what's around the corner and um, the peace and tranquility that can come with that. And then kind of also on a metaphorical level, I like it because it's, I think it hits a lot of what you know, starting a new venture or being an entrepreneur um, feels like where 
you have an idea, you kind of know where you want to go, but you have no idea how you're going to to get there or or where what turns you might take along the way. And and just being okay with that and and that that's actually part of the excitement. Yeah. No, absolutely true. Absolutely true. Well, for, for people who don't know you, uh, do you mind just telling us a, a little bit about yourself, maybe your, your background? Sure. Uh, so I'm the, the CEO and co-founder of Tailwind Nutrition, and uh, that's along with my wife, Jenny. That's my, my co-founder. And my background is actually, um, uh, gosh, in the, in the tech industry and um, software design and project management. And, and I've always been a mountain biker. And, uh, and that would have been kind of my avocation. Um, but then I, um, as I was racing, I, that's what uh, ended up leading me down this path of trying to find some nutrition solutions. And, and lo and behold, I, I wound up kind of starting a nutrition company. So uh, definitely have taken a, a little bit of a, a twisty path to that, but I've enjoyed it and um, kind of come to the realization that that's, that's really what I like to do is, is, is start and build things. Yeah. Um, and so you, you said you had a, a tech background, is that right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like software design, project management. Um, so I did that. Um, I did that with Microsoft as a, a program manager for a while uh, back in the actually uh, kind of interesting times, which were, were right at the birth of the internet and, okay. um, uh-huh. and kind of like you know go 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 growth days in, in tech in the tech world. Um, and then I've been involved in a, a number of startups as well, kind of doing some of those same things. Um, designing software and, and um, building teams. Yeah. So let's, uh, let's jump into uh, Tailwind Nutrition. So you, you mentioned just a little bit of, of, you know, the inspiration for it, but uh, I'd love to hear the story. Uh, and uh, were you a, a programmer at the time uh, when you were uh, doing this race? What was it? The Leadville 100? Uh, the Leadville 100. Is it Leadville? Um, so, yeah. So I, I was, um, I was working on a, um, as a, a, a software um, program manager, project manager, <clears throat> but uh-huh. um, you know, and I think like a lot of people, like I, um, I was not a I'm not a professional cyclist, and I don't can't devote you know all of my time to that. And also, um, you know, we have uh, we have two wonderful daughters, so the time I could put forward, you know, put put toward it, I trained really hard and, and really wanted to do well at this race. And the Leadville race is um, uh, up in uh, Leadville, Colorado, and you know that's. 10,200 feet is the elevation of the town. Um, and, and you don't really go very far down. <laughs> you go a little bit down, but most of it's climbing uh, from there. So, so it's all high elevation. And, um, you know, I trained, I trained really well for it. Um, my first race, my legs felt okay, but my stomach was just, just a brick all day long. And when I crossed the finish line, um, and there's actually a video of this on our website because, uh, because my wife, Jenny was kind of videoing it and, and, um, she wanted to kind of move in for a hug. And I was like, Nope. <laughs> and headed right over to the trash can. And I just puked up breakfast from 13 hours earlier. It, it literally like it was muesli. It was awful. Mm-hmm. Um, and it had just literally been sitting in my stomach all day and nothing was getting through. And I'm just kind of, I was pretty grateful to have finished it all. <laughs> And, and not just bonk along the way. So, so that was really frustrating for me. And I tried, I tried really all the products in the market and, and I just couldn't really find something that, that sat well for that kind of duration and intensity and that I could get enough calories in and, um, you know, and, and feel like I could just, you know, go as far and, and, and as fast as I wanted to, given the training notes, 
So, well, and, and, you, um, and you're not really, you're not talking about just any old race. I mean, this is a hundred miles. Is that correct? Yeah, it's a hundred mile mountain bike race. Right. Okay. And, it's, and okay. it's all high. So it's pretty, you know, it's, it's a good stress test on your body. Right. <laughs> right. And for those not familiar, you know, with, with racing or running, um, at a high elevation, what's, uh, what's the significance of that? Like, like, uh, you know, I'm sure it makes it more difficult. Is that right? Yeah. Well, you're working with less oxygen. So, um, so that just makes it more difficult by itself. It's also dry. Um, you know, even though the temperature might not be as hot, you, you end up losing a lot of, a lot of moisture and, and you have to replenish that. So staying hydrated is always a challenge. And I think just being up there, you know, you're up, up kind of above 10,000 feet, you know, the whole day. So it's, it's pretty taxing on your body for sure. Okay. Understood. All right. Yeah. So continue. I, di- I didn't mean to interrupt. No, not at all. So after kind of having tried everything I, I could and I continued doing the, the Leadville race, I just wanted to understand why my, why I wasn't feeling good, what was going on with my body. And, and the, the, my aim was just to, to be more purposeful about, you know, which products I was trying to use for nutrition, um, to kind of match them up with, with how my body fueled. But as I dug into the, the medical literature and the, the studies on this, um, I found that most of the products I was trying contained ingredients that were challenging to digest. And that didn't make a lot of sense in the context of, um, a running, running a calorie deficit, um, because you, you're expending more calories than you can really, your, your small intestine can absorb and B like your, your blood is diverted away from your digestive tract when you're exercising. So it's, it's going to your muscles and it's going to your, your capillaries to help cool you down. So, um, so, so for most people, as, as I found out that, um, their ability to digest foods and process foods actually goes down with exercise. So, um, so it just didn't make a lot of sense to me I was, that I was ingesting these, these, um, these foods and, and drinks that were actually kind of taxing on the, on the system. So that's what led me to decide to try and make my own. And, um, and I modeled it after, after how our body absorbs fuel. And then some of the other aspects of that I knew kind of just from my own experiences were important things like, um, taste and mouthfeel, like keeping it really light, keeping it clean, not, um, not overly strong or sticky or sweet. And then, um, also just the ease of use. I mean, it was kind of, I was juggling like a drink and gels and electrolyte pills. And when you're out there for like six hours or more, your, your brain kind of gets a little foggy and trying to keep track of what you just did five minutes ago can be pretty taxing too. So, um, so it just made sense to me to try and roll all that into in with what you're drinking because um, because you have to drink anyways to stay hydrated. Um, so that kind of yeah. also simplified it, made it made it easier to manage, and um, and I think that just relieved a lot of stress also. So that was kind of what I set out to do, um, but I was just doing it for myself, and um, it took you know it took a little while to kind of dial it in, but um, but I was really happy with how it worked for me. So and, what, what um, form, what form was this? You know, are you, are you mixing, you know, like powders in your kitchen? Like what, what, what does this look like? Um, that's exactly right. So, okay. um, uh-huh. yeah, so powders, uh, dry powders. And then, um, I was mixing it. My, my wife has, uh, the KitchenAid from like the 1930s from her grandmother. So oh, nice. uh-huh. using, using that and then I'm like coating the whole kitchen and, you know, fine dust of white powder. <laughs> <And> <laughs> she wasn't thrilled about that. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. <laughs> 
um, so that's, you know, literally what I was doing is, is, is that, and, you know, a little micro scale and working with little tiny amounts of, of, uh, of powders. And so, um, I, I ended up sharing that with some people that I'd met through Leadville and, uh, also then with, with friends around the Durango area. And, um, and there are a lot of really great athletes here. So, so that ended up being a really, really good test bed. Um, and they just, they kept on coming back to me and just saying, Hey, this is, this is the best stuff I've ever used. Um, can I get some more? And so I'm kind of cranking away on that, on the, uh, the KitchenAid and putting it in Ziploc baggies and I'm meeting people in parking lots and handing off <laughs> baggies of white powder. Of white powder, yeah. <laughs> and so were you thinking of this as a business at all? Were you charging them at this time or you just, were you just kind of, I doing wasn't, it? I was just doing it. Okay. Um, you know, it, it was just sort of my secret weapon. Didn't have a name, you know, I just, just was doing it, but it, it was starting to build a little bit. And, um, and then, uh, there was one woman that I gave some to, um, that I'd met through Leadville and she had dropped out of seven hundred mile races that, that she trained hard for and, and all because she just could never get the nutrition part of it. Right. And her stomach was, gave her enough problems that she couldn't finish. So I just gave her some of this. And, um, and then a couple months later, she emailed me and she said she'd finished the Shenandoah 100, uh, which is another hundred mile bike race in Shenandoah. And she said she, she felt great the whole time. Like her stomach felt, felt, you know, really good. And, um, and she just broke down in tears as she was crossing the finish line because it had been a real life goal for her for 10 years that she'd been working towards. And I had a lot of frustration from just not being able to pull it off. And, and that was kind of when, um, my wife and I looked at each other and we're like, you know, maybe this has, isn't just sort of a better, um, you know, better fuel or, or a better nutrition for, for athletes, but can actually like make a real, um, real difference in people's lives and help them achieve their goals. And, um, and that was pretty cool. So, so that's actually when we started thinking about it as a business. Okay. And, and so you've, you, you've, you have several, you know, great testimonials, you know, you've been giving this to people. They seem to really like it. I, I assume you want to stop mixing this in your kitchen. You know, what, <laughs> what were the first steps that you took um, in, in order to productize this? Yeah. So back, um, this is the summer of 2012 mm-hmm. and um, there's a race here in Durango that goes from Durango to Silverton. It's a road race called the Iron Horse, and it's actually coming up this weekend. Um, this Are you doing version it? of it? Uh, I'm not going to do it this weekend. Um, my daughter's in town, and we're going to spend some time with her and her, her boyfriend. But 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 I, I was doing it back then, um, mm-hmm. and it was kind of part of my training too. And so the the shop that uh, that helps to put that on. Um, mountain bike specialists, they, they said, Hey, well, you know, you guys could come in and sample this in, in our shop and, um, you know, so be part of our booth. And, um, so, so that was kind of summer 2012. So we kind of kicked it off on that, that weekend and we put up a website and, um, just wanted to see if people would try it. And then really kind of importantly, like, would they, would they buy it again? Um, and that, so that was our, we kind of called kind of our big beta test for the, the summer of 2012. And there was some, you know, in order to do that, like uh, we had a little space in a shop behind our house. And so I bought a, a, a tumbling drum kind of mixer that could do 
like a hundred pounds at a time. And the motor on that was 800 bucks. So I went with a hand crank model. <laughs> so you can probably picture it, but I mean, I do like 50 cranks and then shake it out and do another 50 cranks. And, and in terms for the powders, I, I wanted to make sure I could get any clumps out of it. So, so I hooked up a, the guts of a random orbit sander onto a, a big sifter and put that over a bucket. And um, that's kind of how I was able to screen, screen the material and make sure there weren't any clumps. And um, so it was very <laughs> rudimentary, <laughs> shall we say? <laughs> well, I love it. I love it. Okay. And then you, did you, um, did you put them like, what kind of container was, was this, was it little, little, uh, bags or were you still putting them in zip, Ziploc bags or did you innovate <laughs> um, in that area? No. So we, uh, the first attempt was with some canisters, um, okay. kind of, uh-huh. kind of tall slender canisters. And, um, you know, we kind of quickly learned like, um, these things take up a lot of space <laughs> right? <laughs> and, uh, and putting stickers on them and, um, that was a fair amount of work, but, um, but that was the first attempt. And, uh, and we, since after, after that, we moved on to, um, some kind of bags that were made for coffee, um, mm-hmm. kind of the coffee industry and, um, and then got some pre-printed stickers and then we'd be stickering those bags. And they're kind of stand-up pouches, um, with like a, uh, a zipper top and that we could seal with a hand sealer. So, so those mm-hmm. were our first, first attempts at packaging. <laughs> so how did the, how did the beta test go that first weekend? So it actually went great. Um, people really liked it and, um, they, they bought a bunch of it and, uh, and that, that store, um, you know, they ended up, they, they placed a $400 order before we had packaging. Um, it was just, you know, just because they, we were local and they just wanted to support a starting a business starting up and, you know, they totally didn't have to do that, but they, but they did. And that was really, really heartening because we ended up selling through basically all of that. And, um, and then they reordered and, and to this day, they're still one of our, um, our best, um, you know, best customer sto- individual stores that we work with. So, awesome. um, so yeah. pretty cool. And that's kind of one of those things about Durango. I love too, is that, you know, everybody helps each other out. So, um, that was, that was, that was really helpful. And, um, and then, you know, the website did, did well, we were really encouraged, um, you know, as we, we were kind of reaching out and contacting every customer and talking with them, see what their experience was like. And, um, really it was very positive. So, uh, that kind of, kind of gave us the confidence to really go for it in 2013. Okay. So you've got several products, um, you know, on, on your website, sorry, are you, was this the endurance fuel? Is that the, the initial product? It was. Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and, um, and then also, you know, just flavor wise, um, what was your first flavor? And then how did you think about, you know, adding additional flavors later? So, uh, Mandarin orange was the first flavor and it's because it's my favorite. <laughs> and, again, Very like sophisticated way, right? <laughs> uh-huh. That was back when it wasn't a business. It just was, um, just for me and it was a, a hobby. So, sure. um, so yeah, I was making it, making it for myself and that's what I, what I really liked. We heard pretty quickly from people that, Hey, there, there are people that, uh, we kind of think of it like there's more citrus people and there are more berry people. And so berry was, was a big request. And so that was our second flavor. And, uh, and then, it, you know, it's kind of gone on from there. I, I think one thing that I've learned is that people's taste buds are really all over the map. 
and they don't necessarily overlap. Like um, somebody may really love one or two flavors and really hate, you know, another two. So, and that's okay. And, and so that's kind of what's led us to, um, to offer enough flavors that we're kind of hitting, hitting all the different preferences that people have for their, their taste buds. Sure. Yeah. Um, just a question about that. I mean, I, I looked on your, your, your website and you've got, uh, you know, you've got the mandarin orange, you've got lemon berry, and then you have the, the naked flavor, the unflavored one. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and, you know, I'm, I'm curious about how, how you think about that. I mean, you've been at this, what, eight, nine years. Is that right? That you've been mm-hmm. running this business? Yep. You know, um, you could have continued to add flavors, right? You could have, you know, 20, 25 different flavors uh, for people to choose from. But, you know, you've made, made the choice to, to limit it to, to four. I believe that's four flavors. Um, yeah. How, how are you thinking about that? What, what's the rationale behind that? So we actually had the four flavors that you mentioned, and then we also have four caffeinated flavors. And a caffeine was something we added on um, a few years down the road. Um, and that was because we just heard from a lot of our customers that, that they were regular consumers of caffeine. And you know, some of our customers are doing really big, big things like 100-mile runs or 100-mile bike races or, or even longer. And, and so they didn't want to be going through their day without their normal caffeine intake. Sure. And, um, and so that was, that was something that, um, we took a hard look at it too, because, because caffeine is actually the only supplement that has a, has a really substantial amount of science behind it in terms of there being some endurance benefit, some ergogenic, ergogenic benefit to it, as well as that sort of central nervous system lift it, that you get with like a cup of coffee. So, you know, very deliberately, the it's it's important um, that when you're fueling during exercise that that it not really um, cause your stomach to you know any problems right like you, you really want to really want your nutrition not to be the main focus of what you're thinking about um, and so so we're very deliberate in not introducing ingredients that that aren't proven to um, both be very easy to handle and to um, to enhance your performance. So that's kind of a philosophy, you know, keeping it very simple right. as a guiding philosophy. And we, we still to this day manufacture all of our products. So there's, there's kind of a practical side to it, which is that it's, it's really, um, you know, it gets to be a lot of skews to handle if you're trying to manufacture say 25 different flavors. And then um, also there's some good food science behind, you know, flavor quadrants. And, and uh, we kind of think about it as like, a bright berry, a dark berry, a citrus, and then there's called like a brown quadrant, which could be teas or colas or those sorts of things. And and most people end up liking something within at least one of those quadrants. Sure. And so sure. If we feel like if we can hit those quadrants, then we're going to at least have one one flavor that that um, appeals to just about everybody. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the reason I, you know, I, I dig into that question a little bit is because I, I think that introducing those flavors has, you know, broad implications to your, you know, your inventory, the costs to produce these products or supply chain, what that looks Absolutely. like. Absolutely. Um, yep. and, and even just managing the, the cash flow of the business. And so, you know, especially in the beginning, but I think as long as possible, you know, uh, it's always recommended that you keep the number of flavors, uh, the number of choices down as much as you can. 
you know? Um, yes, every, that, that's everyone, absolutely true. Every um, once in a while, you, know, we, you see these entrepreneurs that come in with, with, you know, Hey, I want to launch with 10 different flavors, you know, and that's always a little bit of a red flag. Like, Hey, do you really need to do that? <laughs> right? Yeah. You might want to, might want to scale that, scale that idea back a little bit. Right. Yeah. No, I, I, you're, you're hundred percent right about that. Uh, operationally it's, it's almost, you can almost think of it as exponential. And as you add new flavors, it, it, it increases your complexity. Um, and like you said, also your cost structure and, um, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to be offering so many different SKUs that, that you're not really making enough of any one of them to reach, reach efficiencies, uh, for sure. scale. Sure. So those, those are definitely factors for sure. So you did mention um, uh, you, that you you guys manufacture um, yourselves. Um, mm-hmm. how, how do you guys think about that? You know, why haven't you you know kicked this out to a co-packer or a manufacturer <clears throat> that could do this for you? So uh, one of the things that I'll, I'll kind of go back to really early days in that that beta test, um, and we had a chance to meet with uh, one of the founders of Backcountry.com. Mm-hmm. And at the time, this almost seemed um, it seemed very premature since we just didn't even know like if we had something that was worth pursuing or not. But he was like, you know, what is what's success going to feel like to you in, in five years? And um, really pushing to think about it not just in the monetary terms, um, but in terms of uh, what your what your business represents and how people would think about it and, and how you'd experience it. And in thinking about that a lot, um, you know, we, we thought, you know, Hey, this is something that we could do in Southwest Colorado and could create good year round jobs, uh, well-paying jobs that are, um, that can enable people to buy houses and, and raise families here. And that's just, it's a challenging thing in our community. I mean, you know, you, in Utah, you kind of have some of the same dynamics too. in some of the more resort, resort type areas where hey, it's really expensive to live and they're not, not a lot of great jobs. And we saw that opportunity to try and create a, create and build a community asset. And the other part of it was that, Hey, as we're getting started, you know, we're such low, we had such low volumes that if we were to go, go and co-man it, we'd really be subject to, um, you know, frankly, just getting bumped for higher priority projects. Um, we couldn't control the, the cost or the, or the timing of getting our product to. So it just made a lot of sense for us to try and do it, do it ourselves. And I, I think that that's also had some real, real side benefits that we didn't anticipate at the time. Um, you know, yeah, we have been able to create jobs here, which mm-hmm. has been great. Um, but, you know, I think people are, are, people are rightly concerned about what's going into their food and what they, what they eat. And, um, we have hundred percent control over that. Um, we're not risking, um, cross contamination because we don't, we don't, you know, manufacture other stuff on our machines. And, um, and we also, um, know, you know, all the, all the suppliers that we work with and, and we're able to, um, ensure that, that we're getting exactly what we, we, uh, you know, what's in the package is exactly what we say it is. So, so kind of from a quality standpoint, that's something we can really control. Um, but also because, um, because we're not paying that overhead, uh, and we're not paying that, that profit margin for another company, we've been able to offer, um, to our international partners, a pricing level that, that allows them to be able to do sales and marketing with their territories. And, 
as a result of that, we're, we're now like in 32 different countries um, where we, we sell our products. And, um, and those are all kind of, they're all made in Bayfield, which is a little town right outside of Durango. And, um, and so in a, kind of in a very real way, we're also importing dollars into our community. And, and those are going right into you know, paychecks and um, also, you know, organizations that we support. And so it's just been a really nice, been a really nice model, but because our cost structure is low enough in the production side, we're able to do that. Um, that's more challenging for, for other companies. Right. Right. Have you ever been tempted to kick this out to a manufacturer? Yeah. I mean, you know, to be, to be perfectly honest about it, there's real challenges with space mm-hmm. um, for, for light commercial um, in, in our area. And um, we are running out of it. <laughs> um, and, uh, and so it's something that, you know, we think about all the time. Like, how can we, how can we make this space, the space that we have work better for us? And is it, does it make sense to try and work with a partner on, on uh, manufacturing either some, some product lines or some components of the products? Um, I mean, we are still, you know, we're, we're evaluating that as we go. Um, it's, right. it's definitely, definitely top of mind right now because, um, because we haven't been able to find the space that we need to expand. Yeah. It's always, it's always interesting that the, you know, it always looks appealing, you know, to, to use a co-packer or manufacturer, but, you know, I think, I don't know that there's any, you know, right reason, you know, I think it's just, it's yeah. trade-offs, you know, and, and you've got to weigh them, um, you know, what's best for your business, what's best for your product, you know, for your customers, uh, and also for your employees, like you guys are obviously very co- cognizant about. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know that there's a right answer either. And you, there's, there's, I mean, in our industry, most of the companies do command, you right. know, they don't, they don't make it, make it themselves. But we also have heard, you know, we, there's another company that we, we know in the space who went six months without getting, without product. Yeah. Because yep. he was kind of too small to, for his, to get his co-man's attention. <laughs> um, and, and that's just not a problem we've had to face um, in, in growing. Now, as we scale, you know, there are real questions about whether we can keep on doing that. Um, and, and that's what we're trying to sort through. Well, and, and one of the, one of the major advantages I think a a lot of people don't, uh, don't consider is, um, just how nimble you can be when you do it in house, you know, and and for instance, you want to launch a new, a new flavor, or you want to try, you know, a slightly different formula. Um, you want to try a new product line. Um, all those things can be done very quickly when, when you do them in house. Um, and you, you lose a little bit of that with a co-man. Yeah. And every time you're doing a new product, it's, it's essentially like, like being back in the startup days where you just don't, you don't have the volume yet and you, you don't know how customers will respond to it either. So, so you're trying to weigh that, like how much do you invest and commit versus seeing how it goes in the market. And so we, that's something that's been really cool for us. Is like, um, we, uh, we did a, a seasonal flavor last fall of our, um, rebuild recovery. And uh, it was a salted caramel flavor, and um, and so we did uh, we did a small manufacturing run of that, and um, and then we sold out of that like in a day and a half, and wow. we expected it to be something that was going to be available for all of October, and then we you know we kind of then quickly did another round. We actually the only thing that really held us up is we had to get another another uh, set of prints 
done for the film. And so as soon as we got that in, we, um, we did another round and, um, and then we sold out that even faster. So that was a pretty good indication. And, and then we heard uh, the reviews from people that like, Hey, we, they would really like to see this be part of our permanent collection. And so having that flexibility to be able to do, um, you know, things like that, like a seasonal flavor, or you can test the waters with something, ah, man, it's just, uh, that is a great, a great capability to have uh, as you're growing and as you're, you're trying to build your brand. Right. Uh, one of the, the business models that we've seen um, actually do pretty well on, uh, especially when leveraging social media is, uh, is something that I, I, I just call it the FOMO business model, but it's the idea of, of releasing these limited runs, right? So you have your classic flavors, but then you have these limited runs of, you know, like a seasonal flavor or just a, you know, an, an exotic or different, you know, type of flavor. Um, that you would, you know, just, just have for a little while until you, until, until it runs out, but it does really well on Instagram, um, because it's, Hey, you know, this, this flavor is only around until, until it's all gone. Um, and so you end up getting a lot of purchases that way. Um, and I just don't know how you would do that if you weren't doing it in house, it just seems way too complicated. Um, if, if you had to go to a co-man for that. Yeah, I don't think you could do it. I, I, you know, you might be able to do like kind of co-man of your main lines and then have some you know, smaller scale production in house, maybe there's a blend like that that works, but boy, if we can figure out how to do it, I would definitely keep manufacturing. Right. That's, right. that's, that's our, that's our goal. Um, and I'll be honest with you. I, I'm, I kind of love manufacturing, you know, I, I love the whole space and, and, uh, you know, I've got a 12 year old boy. One of our favorite things to do is watch that show, uh, how it's made, you know, and, oh, yeah. and I'm always just mm-hmm. fascinated with how stuff is, is, man, is manufactured. You know, yeah, so, I'm right there, right there with you. I love that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's pretty cool to see, you know, the, the products coming together and and uh, what goes into it. Um, yeah. I wanted to, to switch gears a little bit, Jeff. Um, I want to talk about um, your your marketing, right, and, and how you guys uh-huh. have been able to 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 gain traction and and um, you know gain distribution, like you said, worldwide, um, and get into all these stores. Um, it looks like, you know, and probably this is true from your first um, beta test, um, you guys have really kind of um, had a lot of success with events and, and marketing, you know, through these mm-hmm. events. Um, has that been your primary, your primary channel, your, your primary distribution method? Certainly in the early days um, mm-hmm. that, you know, events was a really important way and it's still, they still are. And I, I say, the reason I'm hesitating on that is because we obviously have just gone through a period of time when there weren't any events. Sure. And, um, and so we had to kind of change, change our approach in the last 18 months or so. But, um, but events have been a great way for people to experience our product and just um, to have it on a course. And then um, it's just something that you can, you can actually try. And, um, and then the word of mouth that, that spreads between people at, at events has been huge for us. And we would just see that in our, we would see that in our web sales that, you know, after a weekend, um, you know, starting kind of on Sunday and rolling into Monday, it would always be our biggest sales day on the website. And that was because of those events. Um, we also, um, you know, in the early days, we also um, really just approached anybody like any, any, any blogger or, um, or magazine or, um, you know, web magazine kind of format would, that would be willing to just test our products and, and, um, and write about it. So that, that really helped a lot with awareness, but also with, uh, with SEO and the backlinks into our website. And, um, 
the digital marketing side of that. And then, um, you know, social media, of course, has also been a big part of it all since the beginning as well. And, um, and it's a great way for us to engage with our customers and highlight what they're doing and, and, and their successes. And, and then that just is something I think that carries a lot of weight with other people that are looking at it too, versus we don't really use it so much as a, a format to try and pump ourselves. We're, we're trying to try and talk about, you know, what our customers are doing, which is always kind of really interesting to other people too. So. Yeah. 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 Maybe you can expand on that a little bit. So you focus on, on what your customers are doing. Um, and of course this ends up featuring your product in, in some way. Um, mm-hmm. but could you maybe give us an example of, 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 of that and, you know, the success that comes from, from that approach? Well, I, you know, I, I think one of the most popular things that usually the most popular reports or, or posts are like race reports and, mm-hmm. and somebody kind of going into depth about their, about their race and, you know, there's some part of that that will have to do with nutrition and they, you know, they have, they're, they're using Tailwind, but they, they may be using it exclusively or they may be using it with other products and we don't, you know, police any of that, but people really like to just hear real stories and the real challenges um, because there's so much out there that is just the, you know, this elite uh, athlete with their, you know, their arms up crossing the finish line. Like that's, I feel like that's, that's what a lot of our competitors do is their marketing is just showing these kind of sponsored athletes to do that. And, and we just try and feature people like real people and mid packers, back of the packers. Um, you know, we're not just focused on podium finishers and just sharing their personal stories. And that's, those are the posts that get up that have the most engagement and, um, and interaction and follow-up questions. And um, I think they're the ones that stick in people's minds as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good point. Um, and, and just uh, uh, talking about events a, a little bit, is, is there any particular way you guys approach events? You know, to make sure that it's a successful event. Um, and, and do you always, uh, you know, like get booth space, or you know, what what's the general playbook um, when when looking at uh, doing an event? Mm-hmm. So there's kind of two two ways that, that we that we work with events, and there are some events that we um, will go and have a physical presence at, um, you know, with a booth and it may be, it may be an expo like say Marine Corps marathon and um, they have it, have an expo and we have a lot of customers that they go and do that event. So they'll come up and, and say hi and chat and, and introduce their friends to it. Um, and those are kind of sampling opportunities, but you know, that's both costly and difficult from a logistics standpoint. Um, and just people, people power, right? Like, uh, I mean, we can't be everywhere. Um, we can't be events all over the country all simultaneously. Um, so, so we have to be pretty, pretty deliberate with that and and limited in the events that we actually can attend in person and have that presence. And, um, and we've done some, you know, some event series have worked out pretty well for us and, and partnerships that, so that we can, um, you know, have a, have say um, one partner that we're working with, but they have events in multiple locations. And, and so we'll staff those or they, or sometimes it's a combination of their staff and our staff too. Sure. Um, but then we also just open it up um, to race directors. And, and typically we like to, um, we like, we want, we want to send a race director some product for them to try out personally first, because mm-hmm. we want them to understand how Tailwind works and what the attributes are and actually to really like it 
and, and be enthusiastic about it before we agree to, to work with them on their race. Um, and so we have a lot more of those kinds of races that we, um, we will send them product and they'll actually, you know, have it on their course and, um, and we'll work with them on some, um, you know, materials like how to, how to use nutrition in your training and how to use it at the event and things like that. But we're not physically at the event. And so, so like, uh, 2019, which was kind of the last year we had, um, you know, a lot of events, I think we were on over 600 courses um, in in the summer of 2019. And there's just no way that physically we could be actually at all those events. Right. But by working with the race, race directors, we were able to kind of extend that reach. Yeah. Got it. Got it. And, um, and then you mentioned, you know, COVID changed things a little bit. There weren't a lot of events this, this last, this last little while. Um, (laughs) how are you, how are you guys thinking about it going forward? Um, I assume that there's some events that are going to happen in person and getting announced and, um, you know, that that's, that's ramping back up. Are you guys going to jump right back in and, and kind of run the same playbook? You know, uh, we are, we are, we are supporting, a, um, a number of events that are, that are coming back. There still are fewer, fewer of them at this point. Mm-hmm. And, and we are, you know, we kind of have one person who on our team, um, who runs our events and also our, um, trailblazer program, which is our ambassador program and, um, and our, uh, works with our sponsored athletes as well. So, so we just don't have, you know, we're, we're just limited in, in what we can do. So we kind of focus on a few key partnerships and then events that are within driving distance, kind of a regional, um, you know, regional events that we can reach. And we also try and focus on events where there's an opportunity to really sample our products more so than just say, have, have like a, a single serve pack in a bag, um, a take home bag, for instance, which you know, a lot of times this winds up never being opened or, or looked at again. Right. Hmm. Um, yeah. So we try and focus on things like, um, like say the outer bike, um, events like they have in Moab. That's where people are checking out different, um, you know, different bikes from all the bike manufacturers. And then they can just come by and fill up their packs or fill up their water bottles and then head out and, and, and use it. So the, those kinds of things work best for us where it's experiential. So we're really focused on those as the, the events that we, go to physically, um, you know, we've put a lot more of our budget into, um, digital marketing in the, in the past year and a half. And, um, and so we're going to continue to do that. And there is the same, it is the same marketing bucket bucket, right? So, um, so I don't think we'll go back to quite being quite as heavy on events as we have been in the past, but, um, but we're still going to work with some key partners on that. Okay. Got it. Well, um, Jeff, I think me and you could talk for forever. Um, I wanted yeah, to, probably. to start. <laughs> I wanted to start wrapping this up just a little bit. Um, why don't we switch over to the quick fire round? I've just got four questions for you, um, okay. and just let me know the, the the first thing that comes to mind. Um, what's uh, one tool or resource um, that that you use on a regular basis that's that's invaluable to you? Uh, well, we have uh, NetSuite as our uh, ERP, and that's because we're a manufacturer, uh, you know, being able to track our inventory and look at all of our data in one place, mm-hmm. it's pretty much essential. Uh, what is uh, one book that has helped you the, the most in your career? Um, okay. So I'm not, I'm not like actually super big on a, a bunch of business books because they, they usually they try and pitch, um, some, you know, magical idea. That's a, a miracle, you know, cure for everything. But, um, 
I, I actually got this, you know, I, I was actually listening to the four hour work week when, um, when I was thinking about starting, turning this into a business. And uh-huh. of course it's, it's totally the only person who actually works four hours is, is uh, Nick Tim Ferriss who wrote it. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't even know that he enough. does. You know? And I don't even think he does, right? right. <laughs> but in theory, maybe he could have um, selling enough books. So the whole four-hour part is complete BS. But but I actually really liked the idea of the the ideas of starting lean, testing your ideas, iterating, um, innovating. Like those those kind of core things were pretty important. Yeah, great book. Uh, it, it's inspired me as well. Um, with those same caveats, actually. Um, what is, what is the one piece of advice that you'd give your 21 year old self? Oh boy. My 21 year old self. Um, I think I would, uh, I think I would tell, tell myself to worry less about the, the, the consequences of, of things that of choices and, and just to, you know, kind of go ahead and make some choices be without worrying about where they might, how they might play out. Um, because in the end, they end up being unpredictable anyways, and um, taking chances on the things that you enjoy or, or ideas or people that you meet um, can just lead you to, um, you know, extraordinary discoveries. That's great. Um, who is one person um, that inspires you or that, that has motivates you? Somebody that, that you would love to take to lunch? Well, um, let's see. I guess I haven't really, there's actually a bunch of people that I think I would, would like to do, uh, do that with. Uh, I, I, I think I've always been fascinated and this has nothing to do with nutrition, <laughs> but I, I've always been interested in, um, in, in the cosmos and, and space and, and free thinking. And so like, I, I loved as a kid, I, I just loved reading like the Carl Sagan uh, mm-hmm. books and, yeah. and um, He's not around anymore, but I think he'd be a super interesting person to have a conversation with. Oh, no doubt. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, I, I think uh, we can just wrap this up. Um, I wanted to give you just an opportunity here. Um, if you have any parting words for, you know, other, other entrepreneurs who are in the world of physical products that are, you know, currently in the grind or thinking about getting in, into it, do you have any, uh, any you know, last advice that, that you'd give uh, somebody in that position? Um, I guess, you know, two thoughts on it. One, you know, and it relates to one of those questions. It's just that, Hey, Hey, just go for it. Um, don't let uh, the uncertainties hold you back. Um, because there are always uncertainties, but, but if you kind of go for it and you, you find, you, you find the things that your customers value, then that's going to guide you on your path. Um, so, so don't let, you know, don't let perfection or having it all planned out get in the way. And yeah, um, that, the other thing, yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Um, well, the other thing that we didn't get a chance to talk about, but actually something that we did, we've done since the beginning um, is, uh, you know, we, we started out like writing handwritten notes um, that went into you know, all of our packages. And we, we had a space on our, our large bags that we, we write the name of the customer who ordered it. And mm-hmm. um, just this personalization touches, I think that's kind of long ways um, in helping people to feel like they're part of our journey and um, helping us to, to develop relationships with our customers. And um, I would really recommend thinking about that strongly. Like how do you, how do you keep your, how do you, how do you make your experience with your customers personal? Yeah, that's awesome. 
Hey, Jeff, I, I think that this has been a great interview. Um, I, I think that uh, I, I love how you just kind of kept it, kept it real and just told us the story. Um, I, I love how authentic you are and just, and just what you guys are doing and, and how you're going about it. So I wish you the best of luck. I appreciate you taking the time to join us today. Oh, thanks so much, Ken. Those are really kind words, and I appreciate the opportunity to speak with you. All right, awesome. The Physical Product Movement Podcast is brought to you by Fiddle. To find out more about Fiddle and how our industry-leading inventory ops platform is giving modern brands and manufacturers full visibility into their inventory and operations, visit fiddle.io. And then make sure to search for Physical Product Movement in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are found. Make sure to click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Fiddle, thanks for listening.